0: Greetings and welcome to today's episode of Everybody's Business. My name is Jerry Ross, I'm your host. I am also the president of the National Entrepreneur Center. In studio today, I have with me my sidekick, Rachel Madsen. Say hello, Rachel.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say hello, Rachel, and I was gonna say oh, yeah. I should've. <laughs> we, uh, we are coming to you from Orlando, Florida and sponsored by the National Entrepreneur Center. For today's business topic, I wanna talk about negotiation. Many times I tell businesses that your money is made when you buy, not necessarily when you sell. And that involves negotiation. And many times, uh, especially in our culture, we're not really comfortable negotiating, but negotiation is a powerful tool that can help people not only make more money when they buy, but also get more of the things that they want when they sell. And so negotiation typically involves price and terms. And so there is a price for a particular product or a service, but also the terms of that exchange, whether that's whether it includes free delivery or, or the timing or the quantity, those kind of things. And so many times in a negotiation, if you're looking to get exactly what you want out of that negotiation, you need to be able to identify price and terms, because typically someone wants the lowest price they can get. So, Understanding that when someone you're negotiating with is talking about price, you should talk about terms. And when they talk about terms, you should talk about price. And in doing that, you can change the terms to match the price that maybe they want and they're happy. If they're talking about terms that you say that's going to cost me, then that means that you have to change your price. So, Rachel, will you play a game with me? I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You want to shop for a TV from me? I do. Okay. So I've got this beautiful TV in my showroom and you walk in and say to me, what?
1: I will pay you $200 for it.
0: (laughs) And I say, it's really, it's priced at $300, but I could do $200, but I can't give you a warranty and I can't give you home delivery. I just changed the terms. You did. And so you're saying, hmm, how much is that warranty worth? And can I fit this in my car? Am I going to have to have somebody carry it in from the car? And so that's a typical way of of talking the opposite, whether it's price or terms, to say, how can I meet what a client wants at a price they want to pay? I change the terms. And yet if they come in and say, I want you to do home delivery. I want a five-year warranty and I want, you know, the coating on the front of the TV that makes it glare free. Yeah, That changes the price. And so I say, yes, it says $300 here, but now you want home delivery. You want special uh, application to the TV. It's not a $200 TV anymore. It's a $350 TV. And so many times understanding when a customer is talking about price and negotiating the terms, or when they're talking about terms, negotiating the price, you can protect your profit margin, margin, your client gets what they want, and you you get what you want as well. And so it takes it takes practice. And so I practice that at garage sales.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I go up and say, one word, would you take? And so when they say it's 20 bucks and I say, would you take 10? That's a way of negotiating. I'm negotiating price. And they say, no, I really need 20. And I say, well, then when you throw in this and I add something to the mix. And so in doing that on such a small scale in a way that anyone can do, you practice those skills so that when it really matters, you negotiate the best deal.
1: It's really smart. (laughs) Can apply (laughs) anywhere.
0: (laughs) Are you are you calling me smart? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you this. Everything I've learned, I've learned from someone else. So always, always be listening, always be learning because that makes you sound smart. And that's today's business topic of the day. Who do we have coming up for our interview?
1: We have Sean Flynn. He is a venture capitalist from Silicon Valley.
0: Oh, don't go away. We'll be right back.
1: The Nash Entrepreneur Center has made it easy for you to learn business principles from anywhere, at any time, with NEC Online. As a supplement to all the great resources at the Nash Entrepreneur Center, you now have free access to over 300 learning modules that you can access at any time. Thanks to the generous sponsorship of Wells Fargo and our partnership with The Lonely Entrepreneur, you can access this powerful online learning platform for free. Learn on your own time and at your own pace access product reviews, and participate in weekly group coaching opportunities. Right now, the only thing missing is you. So check out our online learning platform today at nationalec.org. That's nationalec.org. Did I mention it's free?
0: Greetings and welcome to Everybody's Business, podcast sponsored by the National Entrepreneur Center. I'm your host, Jerry Ross, and today we have a special guest for you. Sean Flynn and Sean is an entrepreneur that has founded and grown a profitable education company. He's lived and conducted business in Beijing, China for over four years, and now lives in San Francisco where he invests his time, experience, connections, and resources into the startup ecosystem. He regularly works with incubators, accelerators, angel groups, venture capital groups, and local governments to promote economic growth. He's helped several companies set up operations in Silicon Valley, but he has also helped Silicon Valley companies set up offices, partnerships, and funding relationships overseas. He's interviewed some of the biggest names in tech as the host of the Silicon Valley podcast, which, by the way, was named one of the top podcasts to follow in Silicon Valley. Sean lives in San Francisco, practices Brazilian jiu-jitsu, salsa dancing, and has a passion for learning about languages and cultures. And it's my pleasure to welcome my friend, Sean Flynn. Welcome, Sean.
2: Jerry, thank you for having me on your show. All I have to say is I love your voice. You have the perfect voice for radio.
0: (laughs) Well, I also have the perfect face for radio as well. And so I'm I'm much better when people can't see me. Uh, How are you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good right now. There's a couple of fires uh, going around California the Bay Area. But at the same time, it seems that they're they're slowly becoming under control and uh, you know, I'm looking forward for, you know, the rest of 2020. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's been quite a wild ride so far, hasn't it? I mean, everything from COVID-19 and murder hornets to now fires and and we're looking at a couple of hurricanes uh, here in Florida as well.
2: Oh, nothing surprises me for 2020. Like, honestly, nothing.
0: <laughs> well, that's a, that's a perfect setup for an entrepreneur because they usually expect the unexpected. And so uh, I've talked to several of them that said they've been pivoting, you know, to, to dealing with all the challenges. But uh, right now, most of them are experiencing pivot exhaustion. How about you?
2: I've, I think I've seen the exact same that you have, but at the same time, I've seen or had and had many conversations with startups that are fully taking advantage of the chaos, seeing opportunity, and when this is over, are going to come out way ahead of where they where they started.
0: Well, I I love that that optimism of in this chaos we find opportunity. Uh, can you tell me about some of those businesses and what they're doing?
2: Uh, so a few that I, that I've talked to recently. There's a tracing company that originally was just gonna follow people for just kind of their their map and their pattern put on the blockchain but now they've pivoted to a COVID nineteen solution where it's not only does it trace you, it anyone that has the app, it traces them. So if someone in that chain tests positive for COVID for COVID nineteen, it can then alert the other people, hey, five days ago you came in contact with this person or six feet, you know, within six feet of distance so that's kind of interesting another company that i just talked to got some funding from some big you know fortune 500 companies two in particular they're using computer vision to take a picture of a, a schwab after it you know the pers- the hospital takes a sample under the microscope to analyze it to see if it does have the covid-19 a virus on it, and it's computer vision. It's something like 99% accurate. It's almost instantaneous. It's amazing. Uh, cost-wise, though, it's definitely not right now in uh, a form that can be mass-produced for the everyday consumer. But they are working to solve that. And I mean that; those are just two companies. I've I've gotten quite a few pitch decks over the last few months of just people going, "This is an idea we have." This is a possible solution. This is what we want to build, and it's it's incredible.
0: Sure. And and it's it's required that kind of technology all across the board uh, for us to pivot to working remotely. I can't imagine uh going through this without Zoom and WebEx and some of the the platforms that we've been using to keep people connected, even 10 or 15 years ago. Uh we have a company here that is uh making these um, booths for restaurants that you can actually uh, sit in your booth, and it's kind of a self-contained little pod uh, that is air-conditioned, and uh, you kind of close the the door like one of the closet doors. And when you get done, it spritzes it and sanitizes it for the next guests, and that allows the restaurants then to to provide that social distancing without losing so many tables. And so uh it was one of those ideas that popped up and now they're they're testing it out at one of the theme parks which makes some of the outside places in Florida uh work pretty well if you have air conditioning at your table. So uh I think that these kind of times that are trying and challenging do bring out some of the best in the, in the innovative culture.
2: Jerry, I want an intro to that company you just mentioned. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I will connect you because uh, they they have the uh, prototype built and and uh, I went and, and checked it out and I said oh h- how how quickly can you make these and so they're ramping up production. Uh, Sean, you have an interesting uh, perspective and in a place in, in in the innovation economy in that you get to see some of these companies when they're uh, before everyone knows about them. And so, can you talk about how you ended up? Uh, in that position and, and what you've learned from being in that position.
2: So my journey is pretty unusual, I would say. And tell me if I'm going too far back or going into too much detail.
0: No, that's why we have you, man.
2: So during college, I did mechanical engineering. But the whole time when I was there, I really wanted to travel. But it's very difficult for an engineer to do a semester abroad or a year abroad and stay on time to graduate. So I had this urge to travel. As soon as I graduated, I had the opportunity to move to Costa Rica for a while. I had a friend in the Peace Corps there that asked if I wanted to help out. So I moved there.
0: What what area of Costa Rica?
2: Oh, in uh, Delta. So Santa Maria de Dota area. So if you know the coffee farm area, like the Providencia coffee, they, they sell a lot in Seattle and that. This is the area. Yes. Chance to travel there. Go to Providencia, which is this Little town. There's literally 200 plus people and it takes three hours to walk from one side to the other. You'll wake up to howler monkeys. There's cut cells in the trees. It's absolutely amazing. There's a startup here in the Valley that has uh, that's a nonprofit that takes people there for organic farming. It's absolutely beautiful there.
0: Pura Vida.
2: Hey, <laughs> Vigo Vigo. We, Vida.
0: We, we go to uh, Guanacosta usually, but, uh, we love to visit Costa Rica and, and one day, I would love to have a business there.
2: So quick question for you, Jerry. Liga, Leguista, or Suprisa? Suprisa. Oh, que, fail, que fail. I don't, I'm not sure if we could continue this, this interview right now. Oh, geez. Oh, that's painful for everyone who doesn't know. Those, well, I'm, I okay, I haven't followed it in, in a couple of years, but those are the two main uh, football or soccer teams of the country. So I actually, I went to the final one time when I was there and it was the most hilarious thing because, you know, Supriza sit over here, Leguisa sit over there and there was the police in the center and people were just cursing at each other, you know, <laughs> yelling and, and then there's a break and then people are just talking, hey cousin, how are you doing? You know, like all friendly.
0: Cerveza now.
2: <laughs> so I had the opportunity, I was in Costa Rica almost two years, when I was there, I. Met a few people working in call centers, and they were teaching them Chinese, with the hopes of okay, they speak English. As you know, there's a huge English-speaking population there. One in eight people work in the U.S. legally or illegally at all times. There is they speak Spanish, and they were learning Chinese, and the hope was that they could talk to half the world's population. And this was 2005 to 2007, and I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to go get a job because all my friends from college were complaining about life and. I was having so much fun and I was learning so much that I thought, okay, my next journey is China. So then I went there. I thought I could do everything I did in Costa Rica in a year, you know, be self-sustainable, uh, learn the language, learn the culture, learn uh, a hobby. I learned salsa dancing in Costa Rica. I thought I could do something like that in China, you know, who knows, maybe Sanda or something, but it, it's so much more difficult. It. it After the first year, I I still was looking at a menu, going, "Okay, I don't know what that is."
0: (laughs) (laughs) I understand it's very difficult. I have not been yet.
2: Oh, next! If you ever want to go, let me know as soon as this thing calms down. We can get you on a delegation to go there.
0: I we're there.
2: Contacts in almost every major city. So, and actually, for any of your startups that are interested to expand in China, please let me know. We have, you know, through the years, I've gotten some great government contacts. Great. You know, contacts in the VC in area and entrepreneur and I can help out quite a bit. Sure. So with that, I was in China for, you know, close to five years, came back to the US. I grew up in Silicon Valley, just in the East Bay. So I actually grew up with a couple of these dot-com bubble people that you'd hear about, you know, pets.com and all those. Those were my neighbors more or less, or kids in my class, their parents were working at those companies or founded those companies. So I was always in this ecosystem of Silicon Valley. So when I came back, it just kind of made sense to try to jump in. And actually, that was the only fit for me. The corporations, when I interviewed there, wouldn't hire me. They said I would get bored after a year and leave them. (laughs) This was everyone I interviewed, ADP, (laughs) uh, sales. The list goes on and on of the companies that I got to the very end and the person said, you know, I just think you're going to be bored here very quickly.
0: <laughs> you're way too creative to work here. You're, you're too much of an innovator.
2: <laughs> you'll you'll travel the world. You'll learn languages. You'll you'll start businesses. To, yeah, I don't corporate America doesn't. <laughs> so, so from there, uh, I entered the startup ecosystem, and they welcome everyone with energy and excitement. And I was at one startup. And like most, it ran out of funding. It, was, it right. was in operation for about eight months. We just couldn't find the product market fit. We were importing a product from Korea. And in Korea, quick sales cycle. It was for coffee shops. It was just this portable battery charger that stacked on top of each other that could charge iPhones and Androids that had um, QR codes and NFC. It was the coolest charger ever. And in Korea, it was a huge success. We brought it to Silicon Valley. We thought coffee shops would love it. No. Turns out the people that loved it were any VIP places. So uh, the VIP boxes at stadiums absolutely loved it. Uh, Our boss wouldn't let us, but strip clubs reached out to us and wanted it. (laughs) But the problem with with the Coliseums and, and those, the sales cycle is so long. So we were in talks for next season for everything, and we only had enough funding for this sh- short amount of time. And after eight months, it was well. This pipeline looks absolutely amazing, but we're gonna have to close the doors.
0: We're gonna run out of money,
2: and that's what happened. So it was a shame, but a good thing in that time period is I got to meet a bunch of angel investors. And one of them, you know, he's a world traveler. I traveled. We we, we got on really well. Uh, the founder of Bay Angels, an angel group here that's been around for about 20 years. And I just said, hey, you know, I have a lot of free time right now if you want me to vet some deals for you. (laughs) And he's like, sure, why not? And with that, that was actually the the greatest thing for me because I got to sit in, you know, a room day in, day out with these angel investors as they were critiquing deals and I was doing write-ups, I was vetting companies, I was giving my feedback and they would just shut me down and tell me how wrong I was with everything and saying, you missed this, 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 this. You wasted my time by introducing me to this company. I've told you not because of these reasons. Hey, my friend invested in this company. Why didn't you bring him to me? You know, he fits my investment thesis because of these reasons. And every day, I, I was getting information from these people that have been in the valley their whole careers, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it.
0: What a great way to learn! I mean, being a, being a you know in the room where it happens, uh, you get to to listen to to people that have that kind of experience, and and that's how you learn. And so, what a great opportunity for you.
2: And, and through that, and, and the best part is, you know, these people that are. CEOs, founders, you know, high net worth individuals, sometimes their filter is not there. And that's when you learn so much. <laughs> that's pretty diplomatic. <laughs> one, of, one of my, my favorite, le- best learning experiences ever, a um, true story, 100% true story, I did this full write-up on this one company. And I was thinking, this is, you know, of the 100 companies I've seen this last month, this one's gold. This one, everyone's going to love. They're going to be so happy. Did this write-up. Write up. Gave it to um, you know, one of the angel members. You know, The next day, he calls me up. He's like, Sean, that write-up. Oh, my God. Me and a couple of the guys last night, we were at the bar for an hour just talking about it. I was like, really? He goes, we've never laughed so hard in our life. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like. That company is a disaster. Didn't you think about this, 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 this? I was like, oh yeah, the market that's obsolete now, and the, the patents won't actually stop anyone. I'm, I'm sorry, guy.
0: What what did they do? Install payphones?
2: Uh, it was it was an insurance tracking app for yes. a wearable, and I, I thought I I thought I knew the market, but I didn't. And after he told me, he he then after laughing at me for a while. Really broke it down what they were talking about, what I missed, and, and I'll never forget it. It was sure. it was a great experience.
0: Sometimes it's it's in those failures that you learn the most, and you ne- and you're right, you never forget them.
2: Yeah, and, and then from there, I started uh, brokering connections between the Angel Group and some of the Chinese accelerators and incubators coming to Silicon Valley because it was old connections with new money, and. Then I, I pivoted and I started working with uh, global incubator chain and then from there you know it was going back and forth between here and China every other month taking companies helping them with their operations again uh, more entrenched in the startup ecosystem at that stage of the company and now um, this last year I've pivoted I'm now at an investment bank uh, helping companies raise raise funds helping, uh, people with shares of pre-IPO companies sell them on the secondary market, and you know just a, just a lot of things, but still all in that startup ecosystem.
0: And and that's um, almost one of those things where it becomes the thing that you live for is is to say, I know there's a gold nugget in here, and I'm going to find it. And so that search for for that one that that is the one that you write the report on and say everyone's going to love this. This is a Everybody's Business, sponsored by the National Entrepreneur Center. I'm Jerry Ross, your host, and we'll be right back.
1: The National Entrepreneur Center is a public private partnership that is dedicated to promoting the growth and development of small businesses. The center is home to a variety of independent nonprofit organizations that offer free business coaching, low cost business training, and powerful networking opportunities. Since 2003, the National Entrepreneur Center has successfully provided economic development through small business development. Anybody can connect with the National Entrepreneur Center by visiting the website at nationalec.org. That's nationalec.org to connect with resources that are great for everybody's business.
0: Uh, so tell me, what advice do you have for uh, an entrepreneur or uh, an entrepreneurial company that's, that's saying maybe it is time to, to go raise venture capital? Uh, what are your words of wisdom for them? I got a lot of words. I know, we, and we have some time, and maybe this could be a two part.
2: <laughs> so, two things. One, have you already started building your network? And I'm gonna say the network first before my actual, my, my view more on the funding itself. And the reason for the network is, I love to say you feed an army for a day, or you feed an army for a year to use for a day. And I think that's the same with the network. You, you build this amazing network so that when you go out to raise funding, they're there for you. When you go out to ask for advice, they're there for you. But you spent all this time building that. So have you and your team built that network already? And if not, start building that. And maybe you already have a network. your alumni from your university, an accelerator you went through, an incubator that you're at, a shared workspace, meetup groups, all those tap into that existing network, your LinkedIn, see who the second degree connections are, follow up with your high school friends, and really start reconnecting with all those people. Because when you go out to raise funding, one, I mean the best people are the people that already know, like, and trust you. But you might realize that this person can give you advice that maybe will extend your run rate and you won't have to raise as early. Or maybe this other person can give you advice on tax credits that you didn't know about that will save you funding. Or this person knows a lawyer that will defer payments until you close your first round that he can introduce you to. Or this person has a corporate sponsor or a company doing pilot programs with startups that if you sign that, that's enough money to actually extend your runway. And that's why I'm saying that the network. Work on that from day one. But Jerry, I'm cutting you off. Tell me.
0: Uh, and that's something you start from day one. I mean, you don't wait until you're you're ready to to launch to start making those connections. That's something that you should be doing all along the process, correct?
2: Oh, yeah. And, and most people don't realize how many connections they currently have. They think, oh, I have a thousand people on Facebook, but I don't know any investors or I don't know any lawyers. And if you think about it, like, I'm sure in that network of yours, the people you haven't talked to in four or five years, they, they could be. If, they're a v, if they have the VP title, they're probably able to be an angel investor, at least in Silicon Valley. If you have the VP title, you can write a check.
0: Right. And and you made a, a good point there by breaking that down into smaller categories. Because uh, sometimes when you, you go up and say, I've got a business opportunity, who do you know? The first thing you do is you want to protect your friends and your network. So you say, I don't know anybody. And you go, really? You don't know anyone? <laughs> and, and so by saying, you know, who do you go to church with? Who do you bowl with? Who do you play softball with? Who did you go to high school with that, that might be interested? And, and so – one is I find that's sometime an issue that by breaking it down into segments, people begin to think of people that, that might be in that. But secondly, that they don't judge them to say, oh, they, they could never invest. You know, they don't have any money. And you go, maybe they do. <laughs> maybe you just don't know how much money they have. And so uh, we try to, to say to people, you know, don't restrict people by, by what you think. Let's, let me go talk to them.
2: One of my favorite conversations I ever had with a startup, it was a hardware company. It was a a LiDAR solution. And the two co-founders, their undergrad, one was like, I think it was MIT. He had a master's from Princeton and then a PhD from another Ivy League school. The other was Stanford and PhD at Berkeley. And they're like, we don't know any investors. And I went, hold on. each of those schools has an angel group here in Silicon Valley that invest only for people that went to their, their schools. So you have access to five angel groups right there that you just mentioned. And that's right. here in Silicon Valley. And I, and most of these angel groups or universities have angel group chapters elsewhere in the U S that you can tap into. So you have this huge, huge network that you haven't even thought of. And both their draws kind of jobs are like, we didn't, we, we didn't, we didn't, think about that so we can just go to these alumni angel groups and submit i was like they welcome you they want you they're always looking for deal flow some of these angel groups harvard angels that they have way too much money for the deal flow that they're getting they want you they will beg you and then that changed the whole mindset because then they're thinking wait so we got the angel groups but we also have the alumni if we can go to the person the alumni chair for our area north northern california that they always hold events they want to see their alumni succeed so they have stuff to write about okay so they can start pointing me directions to people that work at you know this corporation western digital dell and that maybe their innovation arms maybe alumni that will invest the the head of the alumni groups they know who are the active members and, and the ideas just kept going and by the end of you know a brief meeting they had an action item list that went out the door.
0: That, that they had access they didn't even realize they had.
2: Oh my God. They had so much access because yeah, also these groups, the alumni, not only are they angel investors, they have VCs. The VCs can introduce them to the angels that they work with. So you have this kind of pyramid up, down, up, down, up, down, across the board is such a, uh, a, you know, so wide that once you get in this, it's unbelievable the kind con- I mean, as you know, Jerry, this angel group probably has connections to these other five angel groups. So if they invest in you or like your deal, they'll spread it to their groups. Okay, these members of that angel group, they also have connections with all these incubators and accelerators that they can introduce you to. Okay, they also have all these mentors and advisors and the daisy chain goes on and on once, once you put your foot in the water.
0: Well, and and then you say, they're professionally connected with people that they work with or, or where they're, they're on boards with. Uh, I'm on a board in Washington. And at the last meeting I was sitting there and the gentleman next to me was the president of the National Association of Venture Capitalists. <laughs> and I thought, I need his business card because there was a connection there that I didn't even know was there uh, that now I, I go to him and say, who, who do we talk to? And, and you're right. They're connected to angel groups everywhere and as well as venture capital groups. But you can't just go and talk to an angel or a venture capital group and say, hey, I got this idea. Uh, what, what do they – where do they need to be and, and what do they need to do to, to make it not be a waste of time for those angel investors or venture capitals to listen to them?
2: So they can bet the angels before talking to them. And I definitely suggest that for entrepreneurs to save everyone's time. And what I mean by that is a lot of, a lot of people will make introductions to their friends, just go, Oh, I know an angel or I know this other person. Let me do an an intro. And then that person will say, okay, I'll take the meeting just because my friend introduced me, but I don't invest in this type of company anyway. And then the startup goes, they talk, everyone's friendly. They don't say no, they don't say yes. They say, I'll get back to you. And it, in reality, it is kind of a waste of everyone's time. Where if the angels go, or not the angels, the entrepreneurs go, okay, this is our company, this is what we're working on. We need to find people that invest or can give advice in these sector, in this sector specifically, and start screening it down based on people's investment thesis. So you have angel groups that only focus on life science, they only focus on, you know, blockchain, they only focus on this. You have micro VCs or VCs that only focus on this. You have this whole path of just focus of in your area you're working on. So find that path, then start talking to some people going, listen, we might or might not be at this stage, but we're building that network now for six months, a year from now when we think we have the traction that you're looking for. Can you tell us what milestones we might need to hit for you to seriously have a conversation with us? and they'll tell you they'll go listen I want you know this much recurring revenue I want to see this many customers in the pipeline or you know they'll be open they 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 tell you what their idea of a of a startup is especially you know if you hear the SaaS companies okay we look for companies that have hit this or we look for companies that have, most people have an idea in their head already what a company is that they would seriously consider and having that conversation 6 months in ahead going okay we're here we wanna, we wanna talk to you because the other startups that are in our area, we've reached out to them. They say you're a good investor. They say you're a good VC. You're a good person to know. You know, we've done our research on, on you and your groups. And what do we need to do to get to where you're comfortable? And one sentence that was actually told to me by an angel investor in one of those lessons that you never forget, and I love this saying is, you know what's the probability I'll get my money back and a multiple I'm happy with? And he said, whenever I have a meeting with any entrepreneur, that's the one thing I'm thinking. And that entrepreneur should be thinking the same thing. So if it's a lot lot less likely I'll get my money back, it better be a lot higher for multiple. If the multiple is low, it better be a higher probability I'll get my money back. And that all goes back to traction stage and how far along the company is. So keep that in mind when you're having these conversations because, You know, some of those companies get those early meetings because that multiple could be so out of the park, but then others, you know, might not be as high. So they have to get further or, or, you know, further along. So,
0: well, we're going to we're going to continue this conversation. Um, We'll be right back. The National Entrepreneur Center in Orlando, Florida, has been around since 2003.
3: And today is home to 14 business support organizations who have a single mission to help you grow your business. Through free business coaching, low cost training, and valuable business connections, these 14 business support organizations assist thousands of entrepreneurs each year in starting, growing, and scaling their businesses. So why not visit the website at nationalec.org today? Or give us a call at 407-420-4848 to discover how you might take your business to the next level. And by the way, The National Entrepreneur Center is funded entirely through local sponsors, which include Walt Disney World Resort, the University of Central Florida, the City of Orlando, and Orange County Government, just to name a few. So let's get connected today and get growing. Check out our website at nationalec.org.
0: We're back with Sean Flynn from Silicon Valley. Uh, We're talking about venture capitalists, angel investment, and all kinds of other things in between. If you are an entrepreneur looking for venture capital and angel investment, uh, this is the guy to listen to. He's been there, done that, and been in the room where it happens. So, Sean, give me uh, the do's and don'ts. Uh, so we're talking about some of the things that someone needs to do uh, to attract a, an investor and and thinking about really putting your your headspace where the investor is to say how quickly am I going to get paid back and in what multiple uh, and so if, if you gear your presentation around that, what are some other things that they need to do uh, to make that worthwhile, but maybe some things that you've seen that people shouldn't do?
2: Well, first off, be coachable. So any advice they give, any advice anyone gives, listen to it. Because the one thing that will end the meeting quicker than anything is if you argue back or if you think the person doesn't know what they're talking about and say it to them, Or even if you don't have that relation with your co-founder and you and the co-founder in a room, I was actually in a room once where the co-founders argued with each other.
0: (laughs) Not a good sign.
2: (laughs) It was, so you're the CEO. Yeah, I'm the CEO. No, I'm the CEO. Wait, what?
0: (laughs) I want my name first.
2: (laughs) So obviously there's a disconnect there, but I mean, being coachable, I, I think that's, one of the biggest deal breakers for most angels VCs because they think, listen, I have a forty year network in the valley here or in the angel community. If you're not coachable. I can't introduce you to anyone. If I can't introduce you to anyone, how could other people introduce you? So how could you grow? Because through experience, people know that network that that leads to the growth of the company. There's going to have to be change. There's going to have to be new people involved. And if there's fighting, if there's You know pushback if they're not cooperative if they're not open-minded they're going to be replaced i mean how many ceos get get replaced after the company goes from 10 people to 50 people because they can't adapt with it they're not open-minded they don't have that mindset. so be coachable be be open-minded so that that's one thing um hit the miles or have that plan in place to get to milestones which the investors in that sector you're, you're in want to see happen. And, and for that, I mean, everything is sector specific. So, you know, find out, do your research, ask. Have the team built out so you give them that confidence. And what I mean by team, you, your co-founder, the, the other people, your first employees, the people on your team, because they want to see that, okay, this person gave up a $400,000 salary at Google to work under you, you must have something that we don't know about. We're really interested in you now because why would anyone sacrifice that to be on your team? Is this guy the greatest salesperson? Well, if he is, that's a great skill for the CEO. Is he the greatest leader? Okay, well, that's another great skill for the CEO. Or is he just full of it? Well, we don't know, but we're just as curious as this other guy that gave up his job, so we'll listen. So be be that person that convinces others that your idea is right, that they'll follow you, that they'll make sacrifices. Have that plan in place, or, or actually, let me go back more to the team. The mentors, the advisors, that's a huge part, I would say, especially early stage, because I look at it going, and this is another instance, I love, I love exciting examples that made an impact on me whenever I talked to other people. Sure. I was at an event, and there's an angel investor next to me, And there's one company that had their pitch. It was one of those events where every startup has a little podium and you just walk around and they give you their pitch and then you go to the next one. And this one angel investor next to me was really into this company. And you could just tell he was asking questions, really diving in. And one thing I actually like to do is I'll ask the angel investor and I'll take him to the side and go, hey, could you tell me what you saw in that company? Because You know, I think I might've missed something because to me it just seemed okay. But you know, you were really in it. What, what caught your eye? And the guy told me, he's like, they're, they're advisors. I was like, okay. I mean, they seemed impressed. He goes, I don't think you understand. So there's five companies in that space. And one of them just acquired a company exactly like that. So the other four companies are going to have to acquire exactly a similar company. And if you look at their advisors, they have, you know, six advisors, four of them work at those companies that, you know, one at each of the potential companies that would acquire them. And so I want to find out, you know, how far away this company is to the stage that these corporates would acquire them. And I would factor that into my, you know, in my investment thought into the company. I was like, that is smart. I never thought about that.
0: Sure. Sure. Uh, who, who told you that? <laughs> the, the, right? I, I have those mentors that I say, how did you learn that? And so it's those aha moments that, that make us better at what we do.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, he saw, the, he saw the mentors. The mentors were into this company. They saw an exit, a big win. So they knew what the corporates would want. They were guiding these, this company to that. It, the playbook was all there for it. So, the 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 team, the advisors—that's huge. I mean, get everything you can before going to these. Back to that confidence—if it can give more confidence, that's huge.
0: And so, other than uh, not arguing with an investor and not arguing with your partner, uh, any other things that that someone should avoid and never do? Lie—that's
2: the biggest. Yeah.
0: And so while you may believe it, (laughs) it's got to be facts. If you don't know
2: something, when you have a conversation, just go, I'm sorry, I don't know, but let me find out and get back to you as soon as possible. I'll do my best to get it back to the next 24 hours. I've seen people, you know, just put advisors on their pitch deck that weren't advisors. And of course, you know, you call them up and go, Hey, how, how, how's working with this company? Who? What? Who, who is that? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: That's, that's my sister's nephew. <laughs> How did he get my name? Uh, well, let's, let me move on to uh, Well, first of all, before I move on. So there is money out there. There's venture capital money. There's angel investment money. They're looking for good investments. So that, that segment of the economy is still alive and well and operating throughout the country. Is that, is that a good summation?
2: I would say there's a lot of money on the sideline right now. Wait in a little bit to see what happens, but at the same time, they're looking at deals. And instead of having you know a couple meetings a day, there's a lot of people that are just doing back to back to back Zoom meetings, just firing them off. There's more open, I would say, to uh, less geographic restriction. Uh, I mean prior there's a lot of people that said i only want to invest in companies i can drive and sit down with the founder for coffee now everything's going online uh i'm organizing a pitch event later on with a group from uh ukraine that want that's pairing up with an angel group here there's there's a there's a lot of interest because people see a lot of companies being disruptive i mean look at look at banking and the banking industry you have these huge banks that are working on 40-year-old technology. And you have all these young fintech companies that go, okay, the regulations have been stopping us from doing trials, but you know they're making exceptions now because of what's going on. Let's start implementing this. You have so many, telemedicine, telehealth. Um, I mean, I had a conversation the other day, and they said we're packing five years of technology adoption into three months. Right. We
0: we have seen that uh, in that here at the National Entrepreneur Center, uh, a lot of times folks would say, "I want to come and I want to meet with a coach. I, I want to drive down to the center. I want to sit down and and share my information face to face." And with COVID nineteen, we have had to pivot to remote coaching. And so, thank goodness, we had the technology and that our our coaches were comfortable doing that. What we have seen is a huge. Uh, a sea wave of adoption of clients saying, I don't have to drive down and meet someone. We'll do it on Zoom. Uh, we'll do it on the telephone. And not only has that saved a lot of time, uh, but it, it's been more efficient and it's been more effective because now we're reaching more people than ever before.
2: I'm I'm just amazed at Silicon Valley right now. I Every week, at least one person I know is moving out of Silicon Valley to areas where they're gonna have a backyard. <laughs> so there's so much talent right now from here that's spreading across the US, it's gonna allow for so much more opportunity. There there is gonna be that guy in your backyard that used to be an expert here that now lives in North Dakota or Kansas or Orlando. Orlando. In
0: Orlando. We have we have great weather, except it's a little hot in the summer.
2: <laughs> People.
0: <laughs> it's a little little more humid than San Francisco. Uh, Let's touch on COVID. Uh, Thoughts on COVID.
2: That's interesting. Um, A couple, God, we could go, we could talk about this for the whole day. One thing that I'm, I'm a little worried about actually digital currency. I think this accelerates that. I, for a while, I thought we were going to move to a digital economy. I know China's really pushing it, especially the one belt, one road initiative. I could see after Their full implementation right now, I know a lot of people have been talking about getting stimulus checks late and things being misplaced and that, and a digital currency would solve that because instant transfers, but I'm really worried about having everything monitored and and every transaction about and controlled. So I'm worried about that, but I do see that moving forward.
0: They have uh, Bitcoin ATM machines in Brazil now.
2: Wow. That's crazy,
0: and it's all digital.
2: So, so I see that coming out of COVID. I see telehealth finally catching up to the technology. People accepting it. I just talked to someone that hurt his shoulder while you know, this whole thing is happening, and just did uh, a FaceTime with the doctor. They're moving it. The doctor says, "Okay, forty-five degree angle. No, thirty. Okay, these are the exercises you you'll have to do now for this long. Never." Went in person, just did it over the phone. And I know a lot of telehealth companies that have the technology have been pushing for it, but it's just slow adoption. I see that that catching up. I see a, just a lot of these technologies that people are resisting because they you know, the old way is the easy way.
0: Right. Nobody likes change, but I tell you what, I sure I did my first tele uh, health appointment. And I sure enjoyed not sitting in the waiting room with a bunch of sick people for an hour waiting for the doctor, and and so when they said the doctor's here, I was there in my house, and and there weren't sick people around, and I didn't have to wait an hour, and so I I looked at it and said, hey, this this worked for me. Yeah,
2: no, no, it's great. I, so telehealth, banking, transferring money. Uh, oh God, what 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 else is there? The I think of the others. I mean, just the list goes on and on. I don't think there's any any sector that isn't going to have experience where it could either benefit or, you know.
0: Retail, transportation, restaurants, all of them have pivoted to saying we've got to find a different business model. and And it's happening. As we go through this year of the pandemic, many of us thought that would only be Maybe a few weeks, maybe a month, but now that it's gone on for months, people are realizing that maybe we're not going to be doing business the way we used to. Maybe business has changed forever. Whole workforces have pivoted to working from home, schools closed, businesses closed, live events canceled. COVID-19 has pretty much turned our daily lives upside down. Dealing with a global pandemic has also made us rethink how we do everything. Schooling our children to serving customers. It's difficult. Any kind of change is difficult. But when you add to that all the uncertainty that comes with an unpredictable virus, a virus that could be fatal, it's no wonder that folks are feeling a bit stressed these days. So if you are feeling stressed right now, it's okay. You're normal. What you need to know is that you're not alone. Most everybody today is feeling the stress of the situation. Maybe in different ways, maybe with different circumstances, but believe me, everyone has been affected. It's okay not to be okay right now. You are allowed to take time for you to regroup and to recharge. I think there are some aspects of what we've found from working remote that are good, that we've learned to use different technology. We've learned new ways to stay in contact with each other and with our clients. And I think even when things do get back to normal, whatever normal may be, that we'll find that some of these aspects of technology and video conferencing, online learning, all of those things will be carried forward into the new way of doing business. Remember, in times of chaos, there is always an opportunity. Uh, let me talk about your life journey. Uh, where'd you grow up?
2: So I grew up in the East Bay, it's Silicon Valley, about 40 minutes uh, east of San Francisco.
0: And what did you want to be when you grew up? A VC advisor. No, actually,
2: I think I wanted to be a basketball player, and then I ended up, you know, five foot seven, and that failed. Uh, <laughs> I should have known too. I was like I'm the shortest person in my class. Well, I'll just have my growth spurt later.
0: You know, <laughs> <laughs> something happened when you can shave. Most people don't grow that much more after What's on here. I'll put on, I'll put on the uh, Christmas tree ornaments on the bottom.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I'll let the basketball players put the star on the top. Uh,
2: yeah, but I had no idea about, about, you know, angel invest VCs. I had no investment banking. All that stuff was foreign to me. Uh, when I was growing up, it was well. My dad's a pharmacist, so it was you're going to become a heart surgeon or a brain surgeon. That's all I heard all day long. Sure. And but I I was thinking of just being an engineer and building robots. That's kind of what I was thinking. And then
0: did did you take things apart all the time?
2: Oh yeah, I, I loved like going. Okay, how does this move and that? But then then in college. Like another moment of my life that was disappointed. I was in the machine shop having the greatest time of my life. And the guy just turns to me, the the manager of the machine shop. I was like, don't have too much fun. I was like, well, why? He goes, you'll never do this in real life. This all gets outsourced to Mexico. And I was like, what? <laughs> like you're going to sit in front of a computer the rest of your life, kid. And I was like, that's
0: that horrible. <laughs> but I don't want to do that. I want to build a robot with my hands. So, so you went to Costa Rica then? <laughs> yeah, pretty <much. laughs> Said, if it's moving south, I'm going to beat it. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I want to learn Spanish. I, I wanted to open up opportunities and, you know, I wanted to talk to people instead of just sitting doing math problems all day. So,
0: did you have a role model, a mentor, or someone that, that was an aha moment as you were growing up that put you on the right path?
2: Well, my path had always changed growing up. I, for, mechanical engineer and that was roger warney he was a mechanical engineer at lawrence livermore lab he was my pole vault coach and he would always tell me stuff like we're working on this but i can't tell you because it's confidential but it's a laser and i'd be like what the, what the, you can't just drop hints like that <laughs> no no you
0: gotta, you gotta actually tell me more i gotta know about this
2: yeah and, I'm like, and he would just do subtle hints like that. I was like at lawrence livermore lab we're working on this really cool thing now i can't tell you but it's really cool. I'm like, dude, buddy, buddy. <laughs> and, and so that was a mechanical engineer in undergrad, because you know, I thought I thought I'd get to work on cool stuff. Uh, college, I had one professor that did interest me in finance. He was the the engineer professor that had the Ferrari. And everyone was like, How does a professor have a Ferrari? He's like, Oh, I'm a portfolio manager. You know, I invested companies and I took one class with him. And after class, you know, he basically told me You don't need to actually graduate college to be rich. It's probably going to hinder you, actually. I was like, what?
0: (laughs) Once again, what?
2: (laughs) so so many aha moments throughout life. But a lot of it's just been random, to be honest. Just talking to someone, they they present an opportunity, and either I say yes or no, and in almost all situations I say yes. And out of those yes, seven fail, three do okay. And then it it keeps going. I mean, right now, if you look at my LinkedIn – I'm advising a couple companies on a couple boards, uh, working on a couple projects. And It's mostly because I've said yes to everything, and some of those, many of them, fail—either the companies, the board, the event, whatever. But a few keep going, and I think I think it's the same thing. Like another aha moment, I talked to this one entrepreneur, the founder of Hacker Dojo. Uh, they have groups all around the world, and I, and basically, he told me he's like, listen you know, one out of 10 startups make it, the rest fail. I'm going to, I I knew I was going to start 10 companies. So the first few failed and then I got this and now it's, you know, taking over the world. He he raised, you know, a huge fund and a lot of stuff, but he had that mindset. I'm just going to keep failing until I make it. That's it. And that's kind of what I've been doing with a lot of things. If you'll notice, if I didn't even tell them, most of the companies I've worked for, but they pretty much all failed at some way <laughs> or the other. I mean, even well, if I, in China, I had two failures before one that did good.
0: So you failed your way to the top. Ah, uh, God. Failed, <laughs> cried, kicked. I've, I've been there. I know that song. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a terrible song, but, you know, uh, in the end, it's beautiful music. I, I'm a poet as well. Uh, so you see, what do you see for the future for entrepreneurship in America?
2: I see, I see bright opportunity to be honest. There's a lot of people I know that have taken this time right now to learn new skills. They're updating their coding skills or they've started little side hustles. One entrepreneur I know, you know, I, I used to talk to him quite a bit, but I lost you know, for about two, three months, I hadn't talked to him. I, and when I caught up with him, I said, what are you doing? He's like, I developed this new app. We've tested it with two different groups. My family, first, they gave us feedback. Then we went to our church group. They, they gave us feedback. Now I'm doing the, the diocese, and they're giving feedback. And then three months from now, after I've taken all this feedback, we're going to start going out to angels. I was like, wow. So there's a lot of people that are fully taking advantage of this time. Uh, to, to move forward. There's other people that like myself, I think I've gained six pounds, but (laughs) besides that, I I see a lot of opportunity because one, there are a lot of established companies that now see holes in their system that need to be filled and are more open to outside help. I see companies or countries around the world that used to rely on natural resources go oh my gosh we have to start implementing technology if we want to have a future uh, that oil sh- when that went negative there on the futures contract there there's companies in the caribbean uh, that i know said listen we know we have to diversify there is people that are relocating to cheaper cities even other countries that are going to take their knowledge with them i mean, there there's that even people move sure. to who- they- you know, or want to move to Kenya or Nigeria after all this, that say, listen, I want to start an accelerator program. I want to start an incubator. So I see globally the opportunity for the entrepreneur communities to grow, especially now as everything is so much more connected online and people sharing ideas and the resources that are there, there's going to be great stuff.
0: And and I think in, it's been said every chaos, in every chaos, there's opportunity. And I think entrepreneurs, uh, that have those good ideas and are willing to learn and, and look for people that can help mentor them and train them, uh, that there is great opportunity now. Uh, I want to wrap up today with, uh, something really important. It's called our rapid response bingo, uh, and ask you uh, a few of your preferences. Okay. So, uh, we need to hear from Sean Flynn on his favorite dessert.
2: Favorite? Donuts are dessert, right?
0: Yes. They can be considered dessert.
2: i'm gonna go donuts or coconut cream pie
0: okay donuts can also serve as an appetizer donuts can serve as a main meal let's be honest (laughs) we're americans and they and they have before (laughs) Uh, favorite movie of all time of all time
2: the first matrix or yeah i think i think i'll go first matrix yeah coffee or tea Tea. Oh my gosh. I go through so much tea. I lived in China five years. Let's be honest. (laughs) Even the Costa Rica killed me on coffee. God, everyone there. This is a coffee from my backyard. It's like,
0: oh geez, more (laughs) More coffee. Uh, Do you prefer a movie or a book? So pre
2: COVID, actually a book now COVID movie.
0: Pie or cake? cake? Cake. Favorite TV show?
2: Favorite TV show of all. Okay, so Lucifer series season five came out today. So yeah. that's my current favorite TV show. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the episodes yet. Uh, all-time favorite TV show. I don't know. I, wa- I I watched a lot of anime. Does that count? Can I just <laughs> get the whole genre?
0: Well, I, I think it can. I think it can. Uh, Beach or the Mountains mountains ballet or opera
2: ballet d- d- more because i'm so impressed by people's movements and-, and their muscles especially after sitting in a desk all day
0: well and as a salsa dancer yourself uh, i'm sure that you can appreciate the ballet uh, beer or wine
2: can i say hard cider yes you can hard
0: cider hard cider and that tells me what i need to buy the next time you're in town Sean, if someone's listening and they want to get in contact with you uh, to listen to your podcast, uh, I know you've been quoted in books. Uh, I know you are available as a speaker. Uh, how would someone get in contact with you?
2: So my podcast is the Silicon Valley podcast, uh, the website, same samething.com. All my social media handles are my name, Sean Flynn, S-H-A-W-N, F-L-Y-N-N, S-V, S-V for Silicon Valley. So Sean Flynn, S-V, that's Twitter, Facebook, everything. and uh LinkedIn, I answer most rapidly, I would say, uh so yeah, just look for me on linkedin
0: and and I have to say that you were the uh the, the podcast that that gave me the the drive to say, we should be doing this, you know we should be reaching out to the entrepreneurs here in in uh, Florida, so uh thank you for inspiring us to uh, to get get in in the game and start doing a podcast as well. So, uh, thank you, Sean, for the time you spent. I know how busy you are. Uh, we will stay in touch with you because, uh, like we said, we could we could do this show and and not cover half of of what we could offer for small businesses. So, uh, thank you for your time and thanks for being with us today.
2: Uh, Jerry, thank you for having me on your show. I had a great time, and I hope your audience enjoyed.
0: It's always a good time with you. This is a. Everybody's Business, sponsored by the National Entrepreneur Center. I'm Jerry Ross, your host, and we'll be right back.
1: If you have a business question that you would like to have answered, or if you would like to suggest a topic for discussion, we would love to hear from you. Just email jerry at hello at nationalec.org. That is hello at nationalec.org.
0: And we're back. I'm here with the lovely and talented Rachel Madsen were the final thoughts for this podcast episode. So any final thoughts from you?
1: No, I think I'm going (laughs) to listen to what you have to say first.
0: (laughs) My final thoughts come uh, as a lesson from my mama that my mom taught all of us kids as we were young. Uh, It has to do with negotiation. And we were talking about negotiation earlier. And my mom used to say, those who cut the pie choose last. And so
1: <laughs>
0: she was a very wise woman She was, <laughs> and it was a, a way to, to make things fair and to say, if you're going to cut the pie and you're going to be the last to choose, you do make sure each of those slices are are equal. And I think that's um, how you can be successful in negotiations is, is working to make sure that things are fair and that things are equal, that everybody can win. And, um, uh, and I think that's when you have the most successful negotiations.
1: Yeah. People really do trust honesty. They do. When everything's on the table like that.
0: And when you're, when you're trying to be fair and assure that, that everybody gets a, a, an equal slice, I think that's when, when you find that you have the best negotiations, when the outcome is fair. So that'll do us for today. Uh, we hope that you'll tune in again next week for the National Entrepreneur Center's podcast podcast everybody's business with me, Jerry Ross, as your host, and the lovely and talented Rachel Madsen. Say goodbye, Rachel. Bye, guys. Till next time. (laughs)